0: I've gone back and looked at the headlines of the newspapers in 9-11. And the first day, were, none of them used the word war. The New York Times says we're attacked. There was a great uh, bloodiest day since the Honolulu advertiser. I think my favorite was the San Francisco Examiner that simply showed the picture and it said, the bastards up there on the headlines. But they didn't say war. No, that happened the next day. And that happened the next day in quotation marks. Who was it who said, these are not just terrorist acts, these are acts of war? Who was it who would have said such a thing and then framed the event in such a way to be an event, not of a tawdry criminal act, but an act of warfare? And you're right, that was the American president at the time. George W. Bush, who said this is an act of war. And people then began to see this, not just as a a simple and peripheral act to uh, global politics, but as something as central to it. And the war on terror became not just a metaphor, but a driving part of American foreign policy. It became a kind of logo for all of the American news outlets. It became a way of thinking about the world. To my great surprise and consternation, it was not the Muslim world that bought this idea. It was the United States. Begin began to think in terms of warfare. And it had to be a huge warfare. I mean, after all, any group that could do such horrible damage to the United States couldn't possibly just be a small band of malcontents up in a cave somewhere in Afghanistan, which is pretty much the case. But rather, it had to be something bigger than that had to be whole nations. It had to be a collusion of great forces. And so there was this imagined enemy of imagined uh, contest between ideologies, which then, of course, helped to create the very enemies that was determined to destroy. As around the world, Muslims insulted by being categorized as the enemy then began to see the America as the enemy in an insidious kind of way by buying into the jihadi vision of global war. The Americans helped to propagate that vision to the very people that it was aimed at in the first place, and that's to the Muslim world. So a series of attacks, you of course know catastrophically the Bali attacks that killed so many Australians, but also the Madrid bombings in 2004, the London bombings, often by people far from the original network of jihadis, uh, In some cases, people whose involvement with the movement was largely through the internet, through guarded chat rooms and through password-protected sites where the kind of development of conspiracy theories about warfare imagined uh, confrontations became uh, a part of the excitement and the enthusiasm, almost like a kind of computer game for many Muslim young people around the world. And I don't say that lightly because... I know of many young men wrapped up in the images of warfare through computer games, and there's a kind of strange connection between, say, the 19 hijackers who slammed uh, their planes into the World Trade Trade Center towers and that thinking of being a part of an imagined war, even if it's an imagined game war. But, of course, to the jihadis, it's not a, a game. It's a real war. It has real consequences. And you can actually go out and struggle with the enemy in contests that are as richly symbolic as they are terribly real. But the American uh, perseverance in the war on terror led to the invasion and occupation of two Muslim nations, first Afghanistan and then Iraq. Had nothing to do with, of course, the war, uh, uh, with the 9-11 bombings. There was a moment at the beginning of the Iraq invasion where a young uh, Marine put, an American flag over the head of the statue of Saddam in Purdue Square in Baghdad. And then the statue was knocked down. And for a moment there, that image was captured and broadcast around the world. And a reporter from Reuters went up to the Marine and he said, you know, why did you put this flag over Saddam's head? And he said, well, this is not just American, any American flag. He said, this is a flag that flew over the Pentagon on 9-11, when it was attacked. And the Rogers reporter said, well, you, you know that Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with the attacks on 9-11. And the other soldier said, yeah, I, I know. But in my heart, I feel like we're getting even. So there's a funny kind of sense that this great war, this imagined war, with the great forces of the Muslim world, included even a secular activist like Saddam Hussein. When I went to Baghdad uh, shortly six months after the American um, uh, occupation with Mary Calder, a colleague of mine on the left with uh, uh, London School of Economics, my mission was to try to understand the increasing Islamicization of the insurgency against the American presence. I talked with this guy in the center who is a, a leader of uh, the association for muslim clerics which is the chief sunni organization from al anbar province of J- uh, fallujah and ramadi who were very much uh, against of course the american occupation and were part of the violence at the time against it he said you know we finally figured out why the americans have invaded and occupied iraq and i said well please please tell me a lot of americans are asking exactly that same question And he said, you know, it's because Saddam Hussein was a CIA puppet. I said, oh, really? He said, oh, yes, everybody knows that. He said, during the Iran-Iraq war, I said, well, I I know what you're talking about. Even Rumsfeld went to Iraq at that time to support Saddam. but, But since then, I said, I mean, do you really think he, I mean, if he was a puppet, why would the U.S. want to invade Iraq and get rid of him? And then he looked at me as if he was talking to a small child. He said, don't you understand? But everybody knew that Saddam was weak, and his power was about to collapse. This weapon's a mass destruction. We never believed that for a moment. He's always ruled through fear and intimidation. He wanted us more than anybody else to think he had such weapons, so he could rule with just unbridled power. We all knew that he was weak, and he was about to fall to the Islamic Revolution. And that's what the Americans didn't want. And that's why they had to come in and they had to get rid of their old puppet, Saddam, and run the country directly because they didn't want to see the Islamic revolution. And then he looked at me and he said, and Mr. Mark, he said, you Americans will not succeed because Islam will prevail. Now the amazing thing to me about that story, despite kind of conspiracy character of it, was that he thought that Islam was America's enemy. And when I tried this theory out on other people in Baghdad, including more secular leaders, they said, yeah, yeah, there's something to that. You know, we believe that one of the neocon visions is is because of the threat, they perceive threat of Islam. So maybe the mullah had something after all, but but the idea that the secular state's enemy was religion, it was a very sobering kind of perception.